0: Welcome to the Mix in the Six podcast. I'm your host, Gina Marie, and thank you for tuning in to hear stories from the Mix community in Toronto and beyond. This podcast is recorded on the traditional territory of many nations, including the Mississaugas of the Credit, the Anishinaabeg, the Chippewa, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wendat peoples covered by Treaty 13. This space is all about sharing our stories, building community and learning from one another and having fun. We hope that you enjoy this episode.
1: Hey, if you are sick of feeling shame or guilt for eating the foods that you want to eat and are curious about an intuitive eating approach instead, the No Bad Foods membership is the perfect fit. My name is Michelle Cordero, she, her pronouns, and I'm a certified intuitive eating counselor and anti-diet nutritionist. As a member of No Bad Foods, you'll gain access to specialized workshops and movement classes led by myself and other expert guest facilitators doing incredible work in the community. Join us for live weekly check-ins as well as a ton of intuitive eating resources. Everything is recorded, so once you join, you can check out the full dashboard of snackable information, as well as the community page for asking questions, sharing recipes, and connecting to everyone in the membership. And the best part as listeners of the Mixed in the Six podcast, I have a couple offers exclusively for you. Using the code MIXTINTHESIX, you'll get 30% off your first month of the membership, as well as free access to my Introduction to Diet Culture workshop. This workshop will help you uncover the sneaky and harmful ways that diet culture is impacting your life so head to no membership.com sign up and remember to use the code mixed in the six here's to finding and uplifting your food joy while feeling nourished energized and super supported along the way I cannot wait to see you there
0: welcome 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 this is Gina here I am so excited to be back to the show. I've taken some time to take care of my health. Some of you may know that I had surgery back in May and uh, took some time off of recording, but I'm back doing a lot better and super, super grateful to be here with two incredible women for today's podcast, Farzana and Sarah, who are both experts and advocates in the mixed community world. I also just want to say thank you so much to Michaela, Melanie, and Sarah, our team, who've been um, really working hard behind the scenes to keep the podcast going. So I'm going to be interested. Introducing our two guests, Farzana Nayani and Sarah Lotus Garrett. Uh, Like I said, they are both advocates um, and educators in the areas of parenting mixed race children, but also our coaches in the mixed space as well. Rosanna, your bio is incredible, so I'm just going to read it word for word, (laughs) if that's okay. Rosanna is a recognized diversity, equity, and inclusion specialist, coach, and international keynote speaker. Her expertise has been featured in media outlets such as Forbes, Diversity Inc., NPR, The Washington Post, and The LA Times. She's based in Los Angeles, California, with a global upbringing, including ties to South and Southeast Asia and Canada, and is a published author in organizational training and culture of multi-ethnic Filipina Pakistani background. She is a passionate advocate for the multiracial community and is the parent of two active and loving sons. Her new book, Raising Multiracial Children, Tools for Nurturing Identity in a Racialized World is now widely available. I highly recommend everyone getting a copy. And yes, you are here today, and I'm, again, so grateful to have you. I've been following your work for, for some time, and I know you've been busy. You are recently interviewed by Fox LA for Asian Pacific Heritage Month, and, and now you're here with us, so welcome. Thank you so much, Gina. Fantastic
2: to be here. <laughs> and how
0: would you describe your mixed identity, Rosanna? Uh,
2: in, in terms of my uh, upbringing, I actually was born in Canada. And my mother's an immigrant from the Philippines. My father is an immigrant from Pakistan by way of India. So I actually have roots in India. For those of you who know about partition and the history in South Asia, Pakistan and India were one state previously and were separated due to colonization. It's important to to acknowledge all of those ethnic identities because being a mixed person, sometimes we get blended away from the different communities we're a part of. And, and me now living in the United States, there's another layer of that in terms of me having grown up in Canada. So all of that contributes to my outlook and perspective as an individual and also as a parent.
0: Thanks, and We're so happy to have you here. And Sarah, So Sarah is a certified life coach and goal fulfillment coach and founder of Mixed Bloom Room. Her work centers around the beautifully unique and complex experiences of mixed people. As a coach for mixed race people and their families, her goals are to help mixed folks foster a higher level of mixed identity, confidence, self-love, and acceptance. Love that. She offers coaching courses through Mixed Bloom Room for mixed adults, mixed parents of mixed kids, and monoracial parents of mixed kids. Sarah also puts her energies towards making a notable impact and leaving a useful legacy and being an active global citizen working for positive change. Couldn't agree with that more, (laughs) Sarah. It's always lovely to to see you. I know, again, I also follow your work and am constantly re- like resharing your insightful and educational posts on Instagram, so especially you just, you don't shy away from those conversations to where you're deconstructing racism and identity and white supremacy, and you're just a lovely human being. So <laughs> it's great to
3: have you here. Thank you, Tina. Thank you, yeah. I'm really happy to be here. Yeah, really happy to be here with, with you and Farzana.
0: Yeah. And I, I, I've mentioned before in the, the podcast that I was a part of your book club, a reading "Me and White Supremacy" with by Leila yeah. Fsad like last year when the podcast started. So, yeah, that was, that was last ah, summer. Yeah, it was it was awesome through uh, through Mixed Bloom Room, and it was great to meet you and and uh, connect with other mixed women across the globe. Yeah, yeah, that was good. And how how do you describe your mixed
3: identity? I would describe myself as mixed black. My mom is white, American white, (coughs) um, with a British background. And I am Black with a West African background, which can't be pinpointed because of colonization Mm -hmm. and slavery. So I live now in Italy. So I also am considered multicultural, I guess, at this point. My children were born here in Italy. So I have mixed kids who are very much... I'd say more Italian than mm-hmm. than American and trying to navigate I guess American ideals in terms of how open-minded we are in a place that is not that open-minded. <laughs> in terms of um, identity, mm-hmm. in terms of identity and fluidity. Yeah, Italy is a little bit more closed in that sense.
0: Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Well, yeah. It, it's so interesting to have you both both here not only because you're both amazing, but also there's some, (laughs) you have such unique stories, both being sort of born in in one country moving to another and then doing work in the mixed space. So I my first question isn't totally about raising multiracial children at all. It's really about you and who you are and I'm always really interested to hear about people's journeys and how they got into the work that they do. So, and I know your your individual paths could be interviews all on their own. So, <laughs> perhaps you could try to briefly describe sort of how you both personally or you know, professionally came to start educating and supporting parents of multiracial children and, and working in in this space in the mixed community, whoever, Farzana?
2: Farzana, you want to go ahead? Sure. Yeah. And it's such an important thing to look back at where mm-hmm. we've come yeah. as it pertains to who we are today. So I appreciate this question. I grew up in Vancouver. I was actually born in, in Montreal on the East Coast and grew up on the West Coast. And I actually started out in education. And one of the things I was really interested in is looking at how people learned and interacted cross-culturally. So that actually jump-started my focus in on learning about cultures, and from there I went to the University of Hawaii at Manoa and studied intercultural communication, and my thesis in grad school was actually on multi-ethnic identity, in particular with the Filipino youth there who identified in different ways. And so that was my first foray into looking at, really deeply, multi-ethnic identity how it was impacted in children by their parents, by communication. And it caused me to also uh, shift in my own identity. I grew up mostly, I would say, South Asian identified when I lived in Canada. And then when I moved to Hawaii, I was really able to hone in and and get involved with the Filipino community there. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of activism and important cultural and knowledge sharing uh, on the islands. And from there, being immersed in that, when I moved to L.A., It was something that was present for me equally now was having both of those identities strong and and present. And I think that a lot of people who are mixed go through those geographic relocations and then are are shifting. So I, I like to share that because I think that we all need to remember that It does change over time and not to be ashamed of that, not to be questioning or regretful of the phases we go through. So in in total, I've been in the United States for 15 years, and that's another part of my identity because of how common and and prevalent the race conversation is here versus in a lot of other places. So it's been a a really deep journey.
3: Thank you, Fresenna. Sarah? I was born and raised in in whiteness, basically. Mm -hmm very few brown people around me. So it's basically just me and my brother most of the time. And so when I moved to Italy, I got some breathing room, some breathing room in the sense of, um, like Farzana said, the conversation around race here is barely happening. And it gave me just like removing myself from that environment gave me some space. And it gave me some space to get to know myself, to explore myself outside of these, this binary Racial binary that we live in in the states really intensely. And I started exploring. I, I had children, and I spent a lot of time at home with the kids, 12 years, in fact. And then I decided that I'd like to do something, find my career, basically, because I had always worked for other people and helping them fulfill their their dreams. And when you live in another country, especially a country they speak Italian here, and the educational system is different here, so it's not that. Plus, I'm a woman of color. So, it's not that easy to just pick up a career here like the one that I had back home. So, I decided to get certified as a life coach. And I got certified specifically so that I could be a coach who centers mix, um, the centers of mixed experience. And dismantling systems of oppression is also a priority for me. So, coaching parents of mixed kids is a way to center, bo- center both of those things, to do both of those things at once. And so, it just seemed like a really good fit. And the natural progression, is absolutely in my lane because those are all my intersections. So yeah, that's just, it just sort of chose me and I chose it. (laughs)
0: Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, Thank you both. It it definitely, the work that you're doing seems very much aligned with like who you are and your experiences. And I'm also curious, like in your, like your professional life and the personal, like your experience, did you see it like a gap in like an, the education or literature like about raising kids or about mixedness that might have sparked the work that you're doing now as
2: well? I I think and and I'd love to hear Sarah's comments mm-hmm. on this because I think we have probably a similar perspective and it's it's so great to be in conversation here with mm-hmm. her too. Yeah. That the issue is that the race conversation largely overlooks the mixed experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We can't get the the attention and the focus on it. At, at any point in time, never mind, you know the current times where there's hate and violence mm-hmm. against certain groups, mm-hmm. it's so mm-hmm. hard to take up space in any of those conversations generally. And then even now, if people are uh, multiracial, trying to balance those identities in the midst of the pain and suffering that in particular BIPOC people are experiencing is such a, a dance to navigate. It is so difficult. There's so much pain around that. There's so much lack of belonging mm-hmm. and a lack of acceptance by others. So this, this is a conversation that is something that's ongoing and it's not going to go away. And at the same time, I think as society, we haven't done well. We haven't done a good mm-hmm. job of talking about multiracial identity, mixed heritage, what it means to carry more than one thing mm-hmm. at the same time. And I think that's due to just generally the polarization that we have among the races, among identities, and the fact that it, it's hard to grapple the idea that we can be more than one thing at the same time.
0: Yeah. You're so beautifully said. And and something yeah. that in the community we talked about, it's like, especially when things come up and I'm, I have a question about that later on in the interview is around when, racial tensions are like high in the media. Where do in particular where where do mixed people have a voice in the the conversation? And I know that's something that like I I've even struggled with and people in the in the community I've struggled with. And and Sarah, what are your thoughts on that as well? My thoughts on what exactly? Yeah. <laughs> the, the what was seeing like a gap in in the mixed voice and the literature and <clears throat> information education around mixedness.
3: Well, um there's a lot of there are studies. Mm-hmm. But there was never a conversation, like a common conversation. And that's what's happening now. And it's crazy because it's happening on Instagram, basically. (laughs) (laughs) Right? The information is now being shared amongst mixed people. There's self-definition happening. The things that are important to mixed people are being discussed from the mixed perspective. So for that, in that happening, uh, the conversation is broadening. And issues come up out of that. We saw last summer with mixed people, mixed Black people in particular, being like, but what's my lane? Mm-hmm. Like, can I talk for, for monoracial Blackness? Or am I not allowed to do that now? Who am I? Like a redefinition of what mixedness means for mixed mm-hmm. Black people. And I, in fact, in my, in my courses, that's one of the main reasons they're there. It's like, help, what's my lane? Yeah. <laughs> But that's really important. That's something that's come out of these conversations. These conversations that weren't, they were non-existent. The conversations that were happening were conversations amongst monoracial people about mixed people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now mixed people are talking, we're talking amongst ourselves. And I think that that creates a completely different uh, dynamic and more space for identity confidence, Mm -hmm. less confusion. Yeah. Less confusion. Absolutely.
0: Thank you. Yeah, I've, I've also seen this sort of blossoming of information on the social media space. Like I remember when yeah. we started mixed in the six, I was like, "Where are the other mixed?" Yeah, I think totally. we're the only ones. I, I mean, the, I know I was that we weren't the only ones, but now we're uh, we're all connected. And I, I'm also getting a sense too that the conversations around mixedness before were largely sort of undocumented, or maybe more in like the academia space with statistics uh-huh. and studies but now we're turning it into positive and productive conversations around identity and, and, all the things, which brings me to my next piece, which I'm going to reference an article <laughs> with some, with some stats. So in a 2016 article from the American Academy of child and adolescent psychiatry in the 2013 U S census, about 9 million Americans identified themselves as more than one race and 10% of children born in the U S in 2013, had parents who were different races. And, and so I understand that from the things that I've heard across the interwebs is that the multiracial people as a group is the fastest growing group in North America. Mm-hmm. Let me know if I got that right uh-huh. or wrong. And so you know also the UK. And the UK, yep. Um, uh-huh. and so you know, the work that you're doing and these conversations that we're having is is really truly necessary in the, the changing world. And because we're talking about raising multiracial children. I want to start about just talking about race with kids. <laughs> um, Farzana, you discuss in your book how important it is to start talking about race with the children and how not talking about it can even reinforce racism in some ways. And it reminds me of that phrase, colorblindness isn't kindness. And we've talked about that a lot at our events with Mix and the Six where like people's parents just did not talk about race. Like I see no color. and But that also leaves children, you know, at a disadvantage when they're coming up in the world. So why is it important to talk about uh, race with kids and sort of how and when should you get started?
2: There is such uh, a push for people to not talk about race mm-hmm. because people think it causes harm, but actually the reverse is true. If we don't talk about it as parents, children are exposed to their first contact with race through a microaggression, through a racial insult, through a feeling of lack of belonging. And what that does is that it, it creates more shame in children rather than builds that confidence that Sarah was speaking about. And the confidence and the, and the power in one's identity has got to start from a proactive and positive place. It's got to start young. It's got to start where we build that up, that connection and contact. And I talk about this in my book, that there's connection and contact and consciousness that's got to come with uh, raising kids that isn't always there because we feel that we should just love on our children and that's enough. And colorblindness is not kindness is, is such a huge thing we see with, in particular, monoracial parents of multiracial children, where there's so much of a battle, actually, that the parents have just coming together in union that they perhaps don't want to address it any further. So it comes from a good place where I just want to love my child and have them grow as people, but that's not the society we live in. So there's a huge uh, research study by Sesame Workshop done in partnership with the college where they interviewed 6,000 parents and asked them, when was the first time that you had a discussion about any social identity characteristic? And by and large, it was generally when there was an incident. And so that's a problem because, again, that's the first contact children have. And it really shouldn't be. It should be a place of belonging, a place of trust, a place of, Pride and a place of joy and happiness, and in counter to what's going on with the current events, you know, being a racialized person, being a person of color, or being a mixed person, should not be something that is just met with uh, images of violence or othering.
0: Yeah, yeah. Thank you, President. Oh. It's like the parents sort of have good intentions of protecting their children by perhaps not having those conversations, but by having them preemptively can can support them in developing that kind of strong sense of self and have sort of an easier time having those conversations when incidents do occur.
3: Sarah? Well, one of the things that I talk about a lot with the parents in the courses is is to be prepared, like to educate yourself on what the mixed experiences, you know, the broader mixed experience, the microaggressions they are going to be dealing with the possibilities so that when they do come up, they're prepared. In order to do that, you have to talk about race. I think a lot of times parents are people, monoracial people. Well, I'm just going to say people. They they think that talking about race is the same as talking about racism. And racism is a really uncomfortable topic. And so they just steer away from, well, if we talk about race, we're going to get into racism. And I don't want to get into that. But they're not the same thing. We have to be comfortable talking about both racism and race if we're dealing with someone who's racialized. But I talk a lot about being prepared and I used the, the expression just to oh, keep the door open, like to open the door and then just really keep it open. Like the kids need to know that's the, that that door is open. I can go to my parents and talk about that because the parents have opened the door. If the, if the parents don't open the door, they're going to get it from somewhere else. Some other open door and we don't know how dangerous that door is, right? So we want them to be prepared, cared for, taken care of in that sense. And so it is really the responsibility of the parents to educate, to educate themselves, to be prepared for what could happen and for the children to know, okay, my parents have got this. If something comes up, they've already talked to me about this. I know that they've got this, they've already opened the door. And I just keep the door open. Like keep that door open. Absolutely.
0: Thank you, Sarah. I have a question about I love that opening the door because it's it's very yeah. just a, a simple metaphor, just like I'm a visual yeah. learner. So <laughs> yeah, I
3: really, I'm always doing those kinds of yeah.
0: It just for the parents who are who are out there listening, when you say like open the door, is there like sort of a question or like a conversation or something that like I'm thinking, like what could you say to your like young child about identity in a way that they could understand it?
3: I think you can follow their lead. Uh And then just be curious, because the kids will be like, look, mommy, her skin's brown, like mine, or Mm. her skin's darker than mine, or so and so said this, or, Mm. you know, I noticed this, look, my color is the skin of chocolate. And I think just being comfortable with that, and then being curious, being Mm. curious. So follow their lead. You know, well, what was that like? how did that feel? Oh, that's silly. What else did they say? Just be curious. Be yeah. curious. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. When it comes to parenting, so being a parent, if whether you're like a monoracial parent of mixed child or a mixed adult <laughs> of a mixed child, are there different ways that each of those types of parents can approach conversations? Hopefully that made sense. I'm thinking like, if you're a monoracial parent versus a mixed parent? Are there sort of different things you, people need to keep in mind when when raising mixed, mixed kids?
2: I can speak to that. So when you're a monoracial parent raising mixed kids or a mixed parent raising mixed kids, there is something that we all need to do. And that's take a look at and examine our own racial dialogue readiness. And I have a questionnaire in my handbook where folks can review, you know, what comes up for you when you talk about race. And in many times folks have not gone through and healed their own racial trauma. And as a result of that, it affects their parenting. It affects their confidence in how they raise kids. It can expose their own colorblindness or their own bypassing in many ways. And another thing is that as you're co-parenting or caregiving, the partner that you're with may have different perspectives than you. And that's a whole other layer to navigate because there are people who don't want to talk about it at all and you're ready to go. So this is not a process that's linear. It's not one that is stepwise that you can just execute and be done with. It's an ongoing journey, one that is co-created with people around you and the family and the home. And then also with your child.
0: Thank you. Yeah, Rosanna. Speaking to that sort of being prepared also involves doing like that that inner work and that self discovery about you know well what what's as a parent what's my identity and what are my, some of my blind spots you know and and I think that kind of let maybe you can both speak to some of the and maybe it relates to the the coaching that you both do but when parents or soon to be parents, uh, people who want to have children and who are likely going to have mixed kids. Like I'm a, I'm a mixed race person, so my kids will undoubtedly be mixed and they will know that. <laughs> but w- w- could you speak a little bit more to that, like kind of self-discovery or maybe some questions that they can particularly ask themselves that, so they can best help their, their kids in their journey?
2: Yeah, I can, I can, I can jump in it. This is Farzana. The, the issue with examining that is, is looking at how ready you are, as I mentioned. Mm-hmm. Another part is, as Sarah was saying, following the lead of children and the curiosity there. So some questions that you can ask your, your children include, what do you think about this? How do you feel? A lot of the time practice that we've been taught due to colonization is to not center our own feelings and that's extremely disempowering for children. So as we, as we raise children, those are some things to ask the children. Now, what do we ask ourselves? Yeah. We ask ourselves, where do I have some resistance about this topic? How do I feel? What's my hesitation? What have I been taught? What are some things that I need to uncover and what resources do I need? So those are things that come up and as we consider if if a person is a black indigenous or a person of color versus being white what about privilege mm-hmm. what about marginalization what about what are the messages we've been taught and so undoing some of actually the the wounding there that has been passed on intergenerationally is key and in some of the intuitive work i do in working with individuals and groups is looking at how we heal our ancestral lines and how we look at what has been you know moved through the generations and passed on mm-hmm. and that goes for white folks too that goes for bipoc folks as well where some of those the disconnection the cultural loss is on ev- is on every side of the family yeah. so we have to examine all of that And it is a journey. I think parenting brings up a whole other aspect of, you know, what we're ready for, what we haven't looked at as adults. And it does bring up our own inner child as well.
0: Thank you, Rosanna. We just did a episode on seeking identity and finding our roots. I know we kind of lovingly call it our genealogy episode where I I actually was the guest on on my own show and I was thinking, why did I do this? But it was really, <laughs> it was my idea. But so I talked about how on both sides of my family, we didn't actually talk about race. And I didn't know the the history of really either sides of my my family. So I, I just really appreciate what you're saying as well, is that that fragmentation from our own identity is something to examine before like when we're having children so that we can have that, uh, be prepared to have those conversations because we started to we've started to do that reflection on our own. Sarah, were you going to say something? Yeah, I just Ah.
3: wanted to say that one of the things that we do in the course for mixed adults is just a reclaiming Mm -hmm. or cleaning for the first time of heritage. And a lot of the mixed adults who have kids who didn't know how to manage passing on their mixedness, to their kids, their mixed kids who are second generation, find that by the end of the course, and they've claimed them, they, when they've claimed themselves and gotten to know themselves better, and they're feeling much more confident in their mixed identity, then it's much, it's much easier to just pass that along like you would anything that you know about and believe in, and it's part of your being yes. to your children. So for mixed people, that, that tends to be an issue in parenting. For monoracial people, it's different. If you don't understand the next experience, they're going to start there. And absolutely, with racial readiness, which is week three in <laughs> my parents' course, and is a very intense hour, Farzana, <laughs> in week three in the parents' course, you know, because we refer to Farzana's mm. book, and we do the racial readiness, those questions, and it's, it's challenging, you know, mm. it's difficult. A lot of people, they do not talk about race. They don't talk about race. Mm-hmm. Monoracial parents, most of them are not they're not they're they're not ready. <laughs> so that tool that Farzana has in her book is a is a wonderful tool just to assess like wh- where are you in the conversation, but also just to get used to talking about race, because for some people it's really, really difficult. It's really difficult.
2: Yeah, and yeah I, agree. Like I, I, I I think it it's it's such a hard thing to expect people to be prepared to talk Mm -hmm. about parenting when they're not ready to talk about race. That's the first. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and we die, we dive in, we jump into the parenting part and raising humans when we haven't Mm -hmm. actually done that work for ourselves. And so, you know, programs like Sarah's and, and others out there, and just thinking about the conversation we're having out there in the world right now helps people process that. Mm -hmm. And, and helps people move through the race conversation before they can move into how to raise others. Yeah, Uh
0: absolutely. I want to talk more about like, yeah, kind of addressing microaggressions and, and um, bullying and and things with actual, like with children. But I I do want to just ask, like, what do you feel are the risks of just not having the conversations when, when it comes to child development? So if you're not talking about race, what what could happen? What are some of the, the things that could result? Um,
3: well, I would say one of the most important things is if you're not talking about race, the ex- racial experiences mm-hmm. are happening. Racism is still happening. Mm-hmm. And if you're not talking about it with your children, they will get the message wherever it comes from. And a lot of that is going to result in internalized self-hatred, yes. our believing yeah believing it right. uh, which is heartbreaking to even think about you know but that's very common you know it hasn't been discounted nobody told me anything different I'm five or seven trying to figure this out on my own and that those that messaging and those those narratives they stay yeah they stay and they spread mm-hmm. and that is something that can happen from not talking about it yeah and then, you know, when you don't talk about the systems, they can't choose to not be part of the system.
1: Yeah,
3: I talk about the systems of oppressions with my kids so that they can choose whether or not they want to be a part of that system. And I got some little activists here, you know, <laughs> that are ready to go. And that's really important, that kind of a- autonomy uh, right. instead of being indoctrinated into a system that you don't agree with. So I think that's another reason to talk about to talk about it with your, with your children because they need to be able to make that choice for themselves.
0: Yeah. That empowerment piece is key. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Letting absolutely. Them know.
2: Yeah, definitely. The, the, the part in all of this is that as parents, we're not going to be around our kids all the time. So they've got to be ready to make decisions to speak up when necessary And to be critical decision makers and thinking Mm -hmm. about critical thinking and how they approach if they are exposed to microaggression, if they witness one so they can stand up for other people. You know, I I had a big conversation with my kids when that Starbucks incident happened when the two black men were uh, taken out of Starbucks and arrested. I came home and I was really upset about it. And they were young. They were, you know, uh, five and and seven or so. And we had a whole conversation about it right Mm -hmm. then and there. And they said, what's wrong? And I said, this happened. Do you think that's fair? And they said, no. Why would anyone call the police just because someone's black right then? Boom. Race consciousness was there. After that, I said, what would you do? They said, yeah, we would say something because this is not okay." Mm -hmm. Like if this was their friend or something, I made it like a playground example. And those things are ready to go in terms of teachable moments. It's just a matter of we, if we as adults take up those conversations and try to steer it into the direction of advocacy, of awareness, of systems of oppression that Sarah just mentioned and going beyond the, oh, you know, let's sweep it under the rug because that is actually the dangerous part here Mm -hmm. is that. People will see things and not say something. I was just at a, a gathering recently and there was uh, an adult man who said that he was on a Zoom call and, and my kids heard this conversation, by the way. And he said, someone said something against black people. And I said, did you say anything? And he's like, no, we were just stunned. People just kind of moved along the conversation and didn't do anything. And I wasn't the one hosting the meeting. I said, yeah, but do you realize what happened then? It gives permission for that to become a truth that people believe is okay to say. And so my son heard that. And I asked in front of this adult, I said, what would you have done? He said, you know, I I would say something and I would say, you should keep your opinions to yourself. Or something like that. Like he even knows to discern what's a battle he can, he can win or not in terms of changing someone's minds, but at least holding the space that that is not allowed here, that's disrespectful. That's pretty advanced for an eight-year-old. Uh-huh. But at the same time, we've had practice because we've been exposed to the news. They've been at home during this Zoom schooling situation and they hear all the conversations I'm in. So they they are naturally curious and, and do want to explore. And if we don't, what happens is you grow up to be an adult who won't say something.
0: Yeah, that's so powerful. For your kids are awesome. <laughs> that's all, that's great they to be. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm
2: sure Sarah's are too. I mean, yes, you can't so, oh, everybody's. When we're in everybody's work when, when we're yeah. in this work, that it becomes natural. I know folks on, on the board that I advise uh, multiracial Americans of Southern Mm -hmm. California. I've literally seen the kids when they were, you know, very tiny, tiny, and now we're high schoolers. And I've seen some of the presentations that they've done and I, I am just blown away. And it's because their parents are actively involved in these conversations. They come to these gatherings in person. They've had, you know, dialogue about it. And you can tell Nancy Brown, one of the co-founders of mask. Her kids are, are, you know, all full grown and doing amazing things. And I, I know, I know it's because of this exposure. Yeah. It's And, and so, uh, I mean, I can take credit for my own household or or, or or whatever it is, but I think this is happening in a lot of places. Mm-hmm. And the more we can, we can replicate that in our own homes, there's so many possibilities for what humans can do as soci- mm-hmm. in society, to help overturn this you know momentum that we're in that is both bringing light to the issues but also problematic in that how are we still in this now in this day and age yeah
0: absolutely yeah thank you it remind that <laughs> we'll go down a little bit of story time my own history I like I said I've grown up in a, a small town and I experienced microaggressions on a, you know a, a daily basis you know those subtle and hurtful comments that just like dig it, like about my race and how I look that just digged into my self-esteem, my feelings of of enoughness. And like I've said, you know, my family didn't have the tools to talk about race, identity, racism, nothing like that. And so when you're talking about uh, sweeping it under the rug, that was pretty much my entire life until now, I feel like I'm starting to have those tools. But I do remember because I was experience these microaggressions, when I saw it in other people, I would want to stand up for them, like for my friends, but I didn't always have the language. I appreciate that, you know, having exposing children to having these curious conversations and giving them these tools can can help not only help themselves, but to help other people who are in need. And when it comes to addressing that, Parzani, you talk about in your in your book, a framework called chats, I was wondering how can, like, what is chats and how could parents use that to help their kids?
2: It's a great question. So chats is a framework that was developed in response to dealing with microaggressions as they happen. And it's in my first book, Being All of Me, that Mm -hmm. I co-partnered with Multiracial Americans of Southern California to, to write. And it's also in my current book where I've expanded it more, my current book called Raising Multiracial Children. And chance stands for C, which is counter. So counter the situation. You can choose to counter it. And that can be to say something in the moment. You can have a motion. There's permission for that. And H stands for hide or withdraw, which is another option. Moving away from the situation to make sure you're safe is important to know as an option. Mm-hmm. A is ask for help or seek allies. So if you're a child and you... Know that there's an authority figure or even a peer that you can turn to. That's important. T is to look at it as a teachable moment. So if you want to invest the time, if it's a relationship that's important to you, then you'll pause and actually do that. And S is find similarities. So sometimes there are things that people are questioning or are curious about and and just connecting with people. So that is a, a model that gives people agency and permission to choose in the moment, not to suppress it, not to feel bad about. You know, feeling like you want to hit somebody like that's that's a a normal feeling. Now, of course, there are repercussions for what choice you make, but at least knowing that you have a choice in the moment. Sometimes you've got to do that. My kids are in in a a Kali martial arts class. It's Filipino martial arts. And uh, I'm taking uh, like an adult version and the whole idea of situational awareness and protecting yourself and like what what to do to defend yourself like do what you need to do to defend yourself. And I think that when a microaggression happens, a lot of the time we center the intent. We center, oh, well, that person didn't mean it. And so I shouldn't feel bad. That's actually so harmful. Yeah. And that's something that white supremacy has done to us. It has centered the dominant feelings rather than the people who are hurt and marginalized and harmed. And unfortunately that gives permission for this to go on. There's a lot of shame that you know, our families have experienced that they don't want to resurface. And so countering it for them, is just like, no, let's just let it go mm-hmm. because that is easier. And it's not anything that we, we judge or anything that we should feel bad about, but it, it was a coping strategy. Mm-hmm. And now we don't have to do that anymore. We really don't. You know, if y- we as a society are having this conversation, our kids should not have to just let it go.
0: Yeah. here, here. It's so great to have uh, just ch- chats. I, when I was reading in the book, I loved that it was so clear and offering a framework to have a conversation. And one of the things that I like a coping strategy for me it was like this grin and bear it. And my parents had often, I love my parents, love you guys. <laughs> They did the best thing that best that they could, but yeah, oftentimes being told to let it go, but that, that stuff stays with you when you don't get to express that those real emotions. Like it's okay to be angry when someone says something that's hurtful. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly. so important for, for children
3: as they develop. Um, yeah, I wanted to, I just wanted to say that the parents in the court really love that part of the, the it
2: <laughs> That's so daughter great daughter. to hear. Oh, but that's lovely. For you.
3: Absolutely. Yeah. Oh my gosh! These are actual answers I can use. Mm-hmm. Absolutely love it. They love that part, on I just wanted to recognize no, Sarah, that.
2: No, I just want to say I appreciate that you're taking the time to to take the information and and walk it through uh, with people. You know, these theories mm-hmm. and these models and these approaches are nothing unless we put them into practice. And I have to say that I am I just so admire you holding the hands of people through this because you. it needs to be a longer conversation and one that's still yeah. that is practice. It's not something you read and get and then you're you're good to go. So mm-hmm. the fact that they're internalizing it and to hear this feedback and to hear that you're using it in this way, I just feel so, so much gratitude. Um, oh,
3: good. Well, I feel gratitude for you, Farzana,
2: and your book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
3: I think that process and one of the things about taking the course and going through it slowly is when you're done you're comfortable talking about race because that's basically all we've done the whole <laughs> time but in a way that it, within a framework you know it's mm-hmm. not just free free speak so yeah it's, I, I really love the framework that your book provides it's really a wonderful wonderful framework I'm really grateful for it and I know that all the parents are too and the mixed adults because I also recommend it to my mixed adult clients yes. because it's a It's really affirming and very healing and allows for languaging of so many scenarios that a lot of people don't have language for. Mm -hmm. They don't even, and that's, you know, those microaggressions, not even realizing that it's a microaggression and just being othered constantly their whole life and not even really being able to language that. And so Farzana, your focus is really, really impactful and really important in that aspect too for most adults.
2: Amazing! Thank you. Yeah. yeah, and then they're like, "Oh, this is going to help me with my kids too." So it's <laughs> win, win, win. Well, that's the secret sauce in all of this, right? Like, as we're raising right. children, we're healing ourselves. Yeah, and yeah. It, and it's so powerful. Like, they're our teachers actually, because. Their innocence points things out to us that's so direct and and actually um, simple in so many ways Mm -hmm. that we have to wonder, why as adults are we struggling with things that are so clear and ethically, you know, to be responsible. It's so straightforward, but yet we are, you know, meandering around sometimes the issue because we've been taught to not talk about it. So our little people in our lives are are such, you know, muses for us to, to consider and our own, you know, teachers really, because of all of that, that they bring every day that challenges us to, to revisit these things. So just to hear the connections that are being made, Sarah, in, in your groups with adults, with kids, I can only imagine, you know, if you talk to them six months from now, what a difference Mm -hmm. it would make to, you know, what they had coming in, how they felt versus, after being in your program and, and working through the material. I think it's changing lives.
3: Yeah, it's really, it's really wonderful work. I'm really happy to be doing it. <laughs>
0: Absolutely. I know that the, the smiles are huge <clears throat> on all of us right now. Yes. I, again, I am so I'm so honored to be in, in your in both of your company and, and kind of hearing the the work that you did with your, you know, your book. I might have already said this, but I own a copy and I am like I don't have children yet, but it is so healing to just open the pages and and also read a lot of really beautiful quotes and stories from mixed people and developing their identity. So thank you for And then, you know, Sarah, you're bringing it to life in a sense of community with your groups. And I I wanna talk about community and and resources for parents more. I do wanna go back to developing identity for, for children. In the same article, and this is their wording uh, that I stated earlier, they talk about there's research that children with a like true multiracial identity or multicultural identity generally grow up to be happier than multiracial children who grow up with a single race identity. I'm curious to know what your thoughts are on that and and why that might be. I
2: can talk about it. Mm -hmm. I I firstly wanna say that whatever folks choose is their choice. Mm So whatever we talk about next, know that as multiracial people, that is something that a person is empowered to do. They can choose one or both, or it can change over time. And no one should really say anything about that. That's a personal choice. So that, that is the first thing that is important. And that's in the uh, Bill of Rights for Racially Mixed People by Dr. Maria P.P. Root. So the fact that identity can shift over time and you have a choice mm-hmm. is important. What I will say next is that I imagine, and uh, I did not speak to all these people in the study, but I did interview, or I, I did interview and, and uh, receive survey responses from over 300 people from my book, which is incredible. I'm still blown away. And the pattern I saw is that when people are not accepted from one side of the family, they may veer towards the other. And that means that there's something that's unresolved. So if that's the case, then I would imagine people who are choosing monoracial identity may not actually do it out of choice necessarily, or may do it because they may choose to do it because they're rejected from the other side or have not resolved with it, what it means to have both at the same time. So perhaps that's why they are not so fully you know, happy or whatever the word was that, that was used there. But that's not to say that you can't live a productive, happy life as a monoracial person. It's just that if that is the choice you make, there's going to be a whole other half or more of your identity or part of your identity that is not something you connect with. And that can be really hard if you face Mm. people or communities or even the questions like, oh, did you know there's this side of the family? And maybe it's made fun of and you make fun of it too. So I can just see that there's a lot of pain around that and things that are not fully addressed.
0: Thank you for that. I explained that beautifully. And also just how that there is, it's complicated and layered and you speak in your book to you and I've spoke about it before. Our identities can change like throughout our lifespan, like, you know, when, how you identify as a, as a child, I guess, can change when you're a teenager and as an adult and throughout life, uh, your lifetime. So, and that's something that is to be respected.
2: Yeah, I think there are a lot of opportunities for us to look at when we are resistant or do feel some sort of way about moving in between or how people perceive us. It's not the same for everybody and and how people see that. By the way, these labels are all put on us, right? Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) right. Living in a borderless (laughs) land and moving as nomads, right? Like what what would matter here? Would would the label matter, or would other things matter? Exactly. And so the borders, the lines, the passports, the census categories, right? The school forms, the, the health forms. Social for the,
3: construct.
2: Those are things that cause the trauma. I there's at one point, and I write about this. I th- I think in my book where my child was listed as white on a health form, and they're they're not. Uh, fully i mean they they have white heritage but they're also asian from both my parents side and also one of my in-laws so to be listed as white is it it was it was such a shock for me and you know my kid had broken his arm and i was going through what that feels like you know to have him in pain and, and and all of that and to see the form say white I mean, uh, uh, you know, apologies to the the person behind the desk, but I kind of went off (laughs) 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 like I I was, it was sort of like, are you serious right now? Like who put that on there? Did anyone ask me? Yeah, What is this? And there's nothing wrong with being white. It's just not, that was not a choice that I had put in down. It wasn't more than one. It did not capture the identity. LAUSD, the Uh school boards here still say, choose your primary race and choose your secondary. Like, what's that a good friend of mine is Japanese and her husband's white. And she posts that on Facebook. And she's like, what do I put? My daughter is Japanese and white. So what's her primary race? Is she supposed to <laughs> choose the racialized part? Like what is that? Yeah. So we have to just throw our hands up and say like, this is not doing a, a service to us. And to tie it back to how we feel in each moment, it's because of these traumatic experiences that force us to choose all the time. So it's also not the person who, you know, who's, you know, trying to game the system or pass something. It's these systems forcing us to have to choose in, in these, in these ways that are incomplete and inaccurate.
3: Mm, absolutely. Yeah. And I wanted to tell you guys, because you probably don't know this, but here in Italy, they do not ask for your race on the phone. It, Nothing. It, it, That's it. Isn't that, is that a Europe? Um, I don't know about other countries, but, but when I moved here, they didn't ask anything. And when Mm -hmm. my children were born, there wasn't anything. And recently, because things are shifting, I thought, I wonder if they're going to start putting that on the forms. Like how is this going to evolve systemically? And the last time we went to the doctor, there was a box to check, but it was nationality.
2: Yeah. yeah. Really interesting. Well, and that happened in that happened in Canada. Oh, it did. Too. Yeah. Well, they went from a short uh, a long form to a short form in that on the census. And that the issue with not capturing the data is you don't really know who you have yeah. and you can't serve the population. So it's sort of like there's that privacy independence, you know, kind of streak or or of orientation. But the issue is then you the is communities are not served. And the, yeah. the data, when I was doing research for my book, Canadian data was really hard for me to look through because of the yeah. way that it's, it's pulled together and uh, categorized by ethnicity is, it was really hard to actually get a clear uh, picture of the, the races and who's what and the composition. And one thing that was clear though, was that intergenerationally there was more mixing, which makes sense because as immigrants, immigrant populations mix, they mix over time, that's everywhere. But it's interesting and I wonder if in Italy or in other countries in Europe, if there's a lack of advocacy because there isn't that lack of uh, information
3: say is that as well as just the conversations don't happen like that yeah, yeah. Sure. you know immigration here in Italy in the in the influx that it's happening now is recent so the, the conversations just don't happen and that would develop now it will be interesting to see whether basically white supremacy is becomes institutionalized mm. in the in the way that, that that the advocacy or the counting happens because as of before then it it really wasn't there was no tally You know, there was no, there there was no tally that was going on. And now they're doing that. So it'll be interesting to see what is done with the information.
0: Yeah. Right. Actually, I'm, I'm a little bit late, but I'm supposed to fill out my census form right now. I keep keep getting my, the notices in the mail, but yeah, this reminds me, I'm going to do this after, (laughs) after this conversation ends, which is, it's interesting. I want to make note that today, the day we're recording this, this conversation is the day before loving day, June 12th. Yeah, which is like just tomorrow. I can't yeah, I like I I can't I can't not say it. You know, nineteen sixty-seven, the US Supreme Court threw out the law that would that banned interracial marriage and changed the course of history for for us all. And on the mixedness of the six, particularly on our, our social media and our Instagram, you know, we're celebrating interracial love, marriage, family, and and you know, as we're kind of talking today, the the face of mixedness or like the population is changing. And, and sometimes I feel like it's changing like rapidly, like there's lots of more conversations happening, but yet they were, it almost seemed like there was nothing happening for a long time. And now it's kind of booming. And I'm just curious, what do you see both of you? Like, do, what do you see might need to change in like our school systems or what are some things that you hope to see in the future that could help parents or help mixed race children understand themselves?
2: I think that with the polarization in society and, and, you know, that this anniversary of loving day, it's Mm -hmm. interesting to look at how some of those sentiments are coming back, you know, about, and it could be tied to politics. It could be tied to the traumatic racial events that are going on uh, around the world, not just in the United States or, or Canada, but it's really something that we have to pay attention to in what our children are absorbing and learning because of the polarization we're in. And so even though the laws say that we can now marry people of different races. That doesn't mean that our communities aren't saying stay away from those races mm-hmm. because they are, the communities are are now not seeing trust in each other because of the violence, because of the lack of understanding, because of politics, because of polarization. So my fear is that those sentiments can continue in a, in a deeper way. That's not uh, as visible, mm-hmm. you know, and it's, it's cautionary, but I I am aware of how those, I, I've seen it because I've seen how different households are, are carrying through with these conversations because the kids are at home with the parents. So there's like a deepening of these polarized sentiments that is happening because of fears, because of, you know, how hard this conversation is and because of how the media and other sources of, of bias are continuing through. So I think we actually have to be more proactive in making sure that we have a society and, and our children and our households are uh, inclusive. So it's, it's scary to hear, you know, I, I feel that the tragedy of the 215 children and, and the trauma that yeah. has been surfaced for that in Canada. And then, you know, a few days ago, the the Muslim family that was run over Mm -hmm. by someone who was actively a white supremacist and anti-Muslim. And so Islamophobia, you know, is raging around the world as is anti-Blackness. So I think that we have to just be, keep going, you know, keep going with this conversation and be very, very purposeful and mindful as parents. And know that these issues are being more complex. It's not just, oh, you can't do this and you can't do that. It's actually, no, we have to interrogate every single aspect of what our kids are exposed to.
0: Yeah. Thank you for it. And I know loving day is a celebration and there's more mixed race people being born. And I think sometimes people think we live in a post-racial world, but now, you know, it's, it's, it, we we don't exactly. <laughs> now, now, like kind of the racism, anti-black, anti-Asian racism isn't new. And it's just, now it's, it's kind of in our face. Like it, it's, it's something that we see on the media all the time. And uh, you both have been vocal around these issues. And I'm, I'm curious if there's uh, any other things that um, you would want to to speak to around like when these things happen in the news, right? How to have those conversations that are productive with our, our children with each other.
3: I'm, I'm going to leave that to Farzana because I honestly, I live in Italy and it's different. It's a really different landscape.
2: Yeah. I think that, you know, what, what we're advocating for in, in our own ways is to not shy away from the conversation and to do so in a way that's comfortable and right for you. Mm -hmm. And having to force the conversation actually is not productive either. Mm -hmm. So what we want to do is build that muscle, exercise it so that we're able to comfortably start the conversation, continue the conversation and actually not have all the answers to the questions, but keep that curiosity up. And you know, know that it's a long journey, it's a lifelong journey, but as we raise kids and model this to people around us, know that it, it's rippling through society. I really do believe that. I think every single person that Sarah coaches or I help advise or whatever we're doing is gonna help create that ripple effect. And that's what keeps me going. Yeah. yeah. me it's too. The, it's me too it's a, right. It's a pot, the yeah. podcast like this where we have made space yeah. to talk about it. It's the books that being are being written. It's the social media conversations. Mm-hmm. It's the post that said, Oh, that's exactly how I felt. But Sarah's put it into words that I never could. Thank you for saying that. So those are the things that I think are, are the bright lights in this. We're connecting in a deep way. And there's so much more here that we can build community around.
3: Yeah. Oh, beautiful. He's I so did beautiful. want
2: to add, in <laughs> well,
3: what Farzana said, so beautifully said, you know, just in terms of authenticity and, ha- and the way that we talk about the things that we're talking about and how important it is to build that resilience and then to be able to, to, to know that you can talk about it in a way that is authentic to you so that it's sustainable. Right, Because there's so much pressure to do it the right way, when I say that in finger finger quotes, but it may not be at all, res- doesn't resonate with who you are, like what your character is. And so I think it's really important to remember that, that once you build up that resiliency, that the way that you do it, whether you do the work or the way that you participate in these conversations may look really different from how somebody else does it, and that's totally okay. We all need to find our own voice and it sounds differently depending on, you know, whether you're outgoing or more introverted or, you know, someone who really likes research as opposed to you know, somebody who's like emotionally based or that sustainability lies in authenticity. Oh, I think that yeah. that's, uh, that's really important. So beautifully yeah, sure.
2: put. I love it. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah. (laughs)
2: Yeah,
0: Beautiful. And Farzana, you mentioned community and I wanted to come back to that. And Sarah, your, your work with parents of mixed children, but also mixed adults in your, the group space. And uh, you know what, it, I just, just openly, I I just want to say, whenever I read those testimonials of people who've gone through your courses, like the, both the, the mixed adults course, but especially the, the ones with the, the parents, just reading the, the transformation and that sense of support and that preparedness that is that's fostered and I'm just I'm just curious just if you want to share from your experience uh, working with the parents in particular like what are some of the things that they notice when they come out of the the courses and how they're feeling with regards to parenting
3: I think the most profound shift that happens in the parenting course is that the parents have confidence about raising their mixed kids that they know what's coming They know how to talk about these things now. They've opened the door and the kids and they, and they've started practicing and the kids have responded immediately and positively and enthusiastically to this shift that their parents are making. And they can see, I don't want to say the results, but they can see the effects right away. Their kids feel seen, they feel heard and it's exciting. That's really exciting for the parents and Having that confidence makes all the difference so you're not scared
2: of the future. And I think that's it. And, and, you know, my comment, as much as it's dismal (laughs) about how society is, I think what we're talking about, what Sarah just beautifully shared is that when you're equipped and you're ready, you can create the world that you want to see. And that's the sustainability. And that's how it's done in an authentic way. And that's what we all have the power to do in our own environments, in our schools, in our neighborhoods, at our faith institutions, and, you know, wherever we go. And that is something that, you know, we all have the choice and ability to do when we step into it and embrace that. So that's, that's what's exciting. And, and as we share on social media, my, my platform, uh, Multiracial Matters on Instagram, and, and I know Sarah has hers as well we talk to each other on, on Instagram, all of these groups and that community building is that space. It's that space we choose to build that we carve out together with strangers, with friends, with strangers who become friends with people who look at us, we're connecting across oceans in three different countries. And it's just so beautiful to see that, that is super inspiring to me. And I hope that anyone listening here today plugs into any of these networks and continues to build their own and knows that they're not alone. Yes. Yes, (laughs) Yes,
0: <laughs> thank you. Farzana girl. said yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, just I'm just gonna massive plug for both of the work that you do. I think everybody get Farzana's book, and if you're a future parent or a current parent of a mixed child or a mixed adult, definitely check out Sarah's uh, courses. They're so healing, and again, like you can read the testimonials online. They're abundant and very moving. And I- I'm just curious. I-, I know you're Farzana. You're book is filled with resources, but are are there any, and for you as well, Sarah, are there any thoughts around like really good resources or supports that parents could access um, that could help them in either finding community or helping them along in their journey?
2: I definitely think staying in touch with folks, like I mentioned on, on social media is a way to see the, so there are, it's constantly shifting. My book was a snapshot in time. I, what I did was I really tried to bring in all the resources up to that date, you know, that have happened in terms of conferences, videos, films, you know, uh, books and so on, even art exhibits, which are so powerful because you can see people, you see yourselves, Uh, but it's changing and there's constantly stuff being created. So I would say, just stay in touch with us. And we like to reshare what is out there. We always, always do. And I know personally, I'm just so impressed with student groups that are out there uh, yeah. on college campuses. They're doing phenomenal stuff, even high schools at this point with their multiracial clubs. And then also, you know, films, I, I, films to me are so, so moving. They're so moving because they capture our voices and our uh, images. So definitely just keep, keep an eye open for all the resources that come up as they do. Yeah, I just want to give a, a shout out to Dr. Jen. Yes. Yes, yes. Because yes, Dr. Jen! She she's Dr. Jen on Noble. fire. Yeah. Oh,
3: Dr. yeah. Dr. Jen Noble, yes. Um, she's on fire. And her what she's doing is beautiful. And she is, I don't even, it doesn't feel right calling her a resource because, you know, she's more it's more yeah. than that. It's definitely a, a love work from her, you know, it's coming from mm-hmm. her heart, the work that she's doing. So she's a wonderful resource and guide for parents. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. For monoracial parents of of mixed kids. Yeah.
0: yeah. She's an, and she's a Dr. Jen with two N psych.
2: Yeah. Uh,
0: yeah. yeah. And her yeah.
2: specialty is with teens. Mm-hmm. As yeah, well. she's a teen whisperer. It's great. <laughs> and multiracial Americans of Southern California, there are other groups around the world. Mm-hmm. You know, uh different different countries actually have their own. So just s- s- search, as my kids say, search it up. <laughs> <laughs> oh my, my
3: gosh, search it up! Wait, Sarvana, do they say that too? Because I'm I'm always like, it's a no, new thing. no,
2: it's not search it up. And they're like, Mom, oh, that's my, how you I say it. Try to search correct it them. I've heard the these YouTube YouTube folks saying search it up. That's a new thing.
0: Oh. <laughs> I just say Google it, but search it's, it up. That's it, the new. Okay, yeah, these are search like the, it's the little.
3: It.
2: It's search it yeah. up. <laughs> search it up, mom. That's what they say. Search it up, mom. Oh, I'm thinking here it's grammatically incorrect, but it's it's uh, what they call it. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. Oh, that's
0: funny.
3: Glad
0: we figured that out. <laughs> Not me too. <laughs> We're coming uh, to the end of our time, which makes me sad because I feel like I could just talk to you and listen to you both (laughs) forever I want to I want to ask you both and then you can kind of share how people can get in touch with you and some of the things you guys have coming up but um, and it's a question we ask everybody but what makes you proud to be mixed
3: I would say my bendy mind my flexible mind yeah yeah I am nothing I'm the the least judgmental person I know my kids will probably disagree with you but (laughs) I mean disagree with me but yeah I I have a very
2: flexible mind I I um,
3: and I like that about myself
2: for me it's breaking down barriers you know that this this compilation of ethnic groups is something that is a uh, conversation starter It's, it's by nature, a revolution, you know, because, and this goes for all mixed people because it's not something that is expected a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. It's an eyebrow raiser, And as much as we want to normalize it, there's a uniqueness to it that I feel like gives us the chance to push, push against the categories, push against the boundaries that were placed there or that we uphold. So I've, I've come to welcome that. And I, I'm really proud that that can be done with this identity.
0: Yeah, thank
2: you both. I
3: love it. Yeah. I love it.
0: Both of you are incredible and thank you so much for sharing your your heart through your work and in this conversation and sharing so much knowledge. I, I've been like typing away these like nuggets of wisdom that each of you have shared and again so grateful to to have you both here and to be in community with you both. It's it's cool that Mix and the Six kind of we started as a you know like the Toronto peeps but now we're able to connect with this broader mixed family and and um and to keep these conversations going as we've been talking about are so so important to stay curious stay connected to one another and to continue to be and build community with with us all so thank you both again thank you Thank Thanks, you. Gina. Thanks, Sarah. Thanks, Tarthana. And I just want to know too how can people get in touch with you and engage with your work, it plugs, your your IG, and, and anything else you got coming up?
3: Well, I'm at mixbloomroom.com with mm-hmm. my website. And
2: um, I'm on Instagram a lot at, at the same Mixed Bloom Room.
3: Yeah. So that's where I be.
2: I'm at Multiracial Matters on Instagram. And my website is myfullname.com, farzananayani.com. And I do healing circles and, and programs for, in particular, Black, Indigenous, people of color. And I have one that this cohort coming up is focused on BIPOC mixed women of color. So keep in touch and stay tuned for all the exciting stuff that's to come. Awesome. Wait, I I forgot to plug my my stuff. Yeah, okay.
3: (laughs) Yes, and Sarah, um, yeah, I'm sorry. I I that. I have actually starting this next week the mixed adults course, which is basically an empowerment course for mixed people centering mixedness. And also the the course for monoracial parents of mixed kids, which I run, I'd say like every three months, I run those. And I also do curated courses for people who maybe the, the a group setting doesn't work for them for, because of scheduling or maybe because they're really introverted and or shy and they don't want to, they don't want to do it in a group. So um, yeah, I'm happy to do curated courses as well. Those are fun.
0: Awesome. Perfect. Yeah. Everybody stay in touch. Buy Farzana's book, check out Sarah's courses and send us your questions. And I hope that you both come back in the future for future episodes.
2: Oh, Absolutely. yes, would love to. And Sarah, let's yeah. take the show on the road. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Absolutely. Oh, Thanks, everybody. Yeah. Thank you.
2: Thank you. Um.
0: Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Mixed in the 6 podcast like what you hear and want to support mixed race stories and topics head on over to our Patreon for more bonus content we have cheesy topics such as sexuality wellness, gender interviews with special guests and experts as well as Mixed in the 6 merch all at patreon.com forward slash mixed in the 6 for a monthly subscription starting with $7 a month it really really helps us keep the project going and We will love you forever. And of course, you can show us love on social media, like, comment, subscribe, give us a review and DM us with your Mixie story. We love you and talk to you soon.